0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito
1: Hey, this is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast. <laughs>
0: welcome everyone welcome to thick jack frames fear the swords nba draft podcast my name is trevor magnati the cleveland cavaliers are set to pick third and 25th as we record here on tuesday night and you won't just be hearing me tonight we've got a guest on to break down the ncaa tournament that's starting thursday or technically tonight if you count the playing games I have Spencer Perlman of The Steppian with me. He's at SK Perlman on Twitter, does great work uh, with video, and is just a general, generally great guy to follow for NBA Draft stuff. Spencer, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you doing?
0: Doing well. We're excited to talk about probably as many guys as we, as we can here over the next about hour. Um, so before we get into breaking down some of the big matchups of the first weekend and uh, what we can look forward to in terms of prospect performance. I wanna get your take on something that has been a little bit of a struggle for me as I have gone through the last couple of years with NBA draft scouting. And that is how much do you weight the NCAA tournament and what do you try to take away from what we're gonna see over the next few weeks in terms of the overall scouting process? Um, We see guys every cut or not every year but most years you get at least one to two guys that has a good performance and kind of vaults themselves into the conversation in the nba draft i think of the obvious kemba walker and shabazz napier every once in a while you get a malachi richardson who strings together a couple games and ends up in the first round um so how do you evaluate the ncaa tournament looking t- towards a guy's draft stock and what do you use the next couple weeks for
1: um, I mean, I guess, first of all, you're, you know, it's better competition. So the first thing is you want to see just how good are they going to be playing against the better competition? Um, I mean, I, I guess, except for like the ACC schools who are constantly playing against good guys, but it's, for me, it's more for like the smaller teams. So the Utah States, the Murray States, um, the Belmonts, the guys who aren't on national TV playing against top 25 teams every, you know, second game or whatever it is, um, those are the prospects who I'm really trying to figure out, like how how much of their skills translate against uh, better athletes, bigger athletes. Um, so it, yeah, it's really more for like the smaller schools. The bigger schools, you know, they you see them against great teams pretty much every week. So it's really like you know you have a thirty game sample size versus you know one maybe two three game sample size. Unless, of course, it's someone who, as you said before, like should have as Napier, uh, Campbell Walker, just guys who go completely off, and the weaknesses that you thought they had, if they just completely, at like you know, remove them, um, they can rise up the draft boards a lot. So it's more—it's like a sample size. You try to see if they corrected some things, how well they do against better competition, if they're a smaller school, um, and that's about it, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of have a different take on it just because when I my personal preference when I'm watching like during the season is I focus very closely in on one guy at a time, and I don't really just kind of generally watch games. I kind of focus in on one prospect that, I, that I'm paying attention to so I can kind of see what he's doing at all times on the court. So I kind of use the NCAA tournament as a time to do that, to watch just general games and kind of see who pops. And kind of use it to see what I'm missing. Um, so you know, for example, you see a guy. You see a guy has a good game in a matchup that may be an advantageous to him. You see like a center play against a t- uh, lower tier team that doesn't have a lot of height or you see a good matchup of a guard that's suddenly playing Um, I I think of a good example here as being like we're going to see John Morant or Marcus Howard probably against Gonzaga and seeing a guard who might perform against a team like Gonzaga that has a ton of good front court players and finishes well in that game I might go back and see kind of if that's replicable across the rest of their sample size so like is that something that you might do as well, just kind of fact-check yourself if somebody has a really unexpected outcome.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to, right? Like, the drop process is ever-evolving. Every game, something new can come up. If you see something one game, maybe you missed it another game and so you have to go back and look. Um, see, so yeah, I definitely agree with using it as, um, you know, what you just said is the fact-checking and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I, I think we're going to get some good opportunities here. We're, we have a tournament field that really features a lot of kind of similar prospects with either similar, style or similar positions or contrasting styles that may end up guarding each other and may end up kind of performing against each other. And I want to kind of talk about some of those here first and kind of give you your opening week viewing guide with some games that can... Um, kind of point you in a direction of maybe going back and, and fact-checking um, some other games that you may have seen in the past. The first one we'll start with is the playing game um, that is going to be on Wednesday night that I think everybody from Draft Twitter immediately circled as kind of the play game to watch. Arizona State and St. John's, you get Wugens Dort from Arizona State, you get Shimori Pons from St. John's, two guys who are going to be primary ball handlers, are going to be spending a lot of time on ball and Probably we will get some matchups of them defending each other. Spencer, what are you looking for when you watch this matchup between two guys who are kind of on the fringe of the first round? I know Dort, for draft Twitter at least, isn't really at that level, but probably in this consensus is probably still in that conversation. Um, what are you looking for from Dort and Pons as we look at this game?
1: So I guess Dort is just how is he going to do against, uh, you know, in the bigger spotlight, you're, you know, it's the playing game, It's you lose, you're out, you win, you go forward, and he's going to probably be matching up against Justin Simon, who is a very good defender, and he's about his size, maybe he weighs a little bit less, um, but, you know, he's still a great defender, a good athlete, so that's really where I'm going to be looking for, for Dort, just like those two guys, and how he's going to match up against a potential NBA-sized um, defender, and then for Pons, it's how is he going to match up against Dort? Because I probably expect um, Dort to spend most of his time on Pons just because Pons, you know, he's four inches smaller. He can be bodied a little bit. So how does Shamor respond to the, to the different type of defender? Because um, this is going to be someone whose size is, you know, it's a prototypical shooting guard in the NBA, maybe combo guard and, someone who Pons could potentially be matched up with going forward. Yeah. Litmus, litmus test, I guess.
0: Yeah, I I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that matchup shakes out with Pons on offense and Dort on defense. You know, Dort, he isn't the most consistent defender, but he has that big, wide frame that kind of reminds of Deion Waiters a little bit, and... He can actually, when he is checked in, he can actually be a pretty competent defender. And I think he's going to be an interesting impediment to Pons going towards the rim. That's not kind of what, that's not the biggest strength in his game. Um, But I think if there's anybody in this tournament outside of probably John Morant that could take that Kemba Walker approach and kind of just take over the tournament from the point guard position, it's probably Pons, right?
1: Yeah, I actually said that in another podcast I did over the weekend that, I mean, I I think this is actually last week before the uh, conference tournament. um, Pons, I mean, he's someone who can score a lot of points. He can get hot very quickly. So if he ends up getting hot at the right time and if St. John's makes a nice run, um, what's stopping him from going, you know, 30, 31 up to, you know, the 20s? It's not like... It's like there's a set group of people who are absolutely going to go in front of them. It's a very fluid draft situation. Um, you know, just just for the matchup, though, the one thing I'd be interested, I'd be pretty interested to see if uh, Chris Mullen will do is so Dort's on ball defense is way, way better, I think, than his off ball defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pons has the ability to come off screens. He has the ability to just straight up catch and shoot and run guys off and pull very, very quickly. So I think in Mullen actually. If he does his homework, and I'm assuming he will, I'd be interested to see just how much he's playing puns off-ball, at least to start the game, to get a feel for like who's going to be defending him and if Dort's actually locked in off-ball.
0: Yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting to see. I, def- I definitely think I would side with St. John's winning that game um, and getting to advance, but um, it's it's going to be really interesting between those two teams and two, co- two coaches who are getting their first real opportunity to show what they can do in the NCAA tournament there too will be interesting too former NBA players with Bobby Hurley and Chris Mullen Um, so let's go ahead and let's shift to the other big guard matchup in the first round this was kind of the the game and the quadrant really when you factor in the 413 in this pool as well that everybody kind of circled as the must watch one of the weekend and that's going to be Marquette and Murray State you got John Morant on one side probable top five pick going up against Marcus Howard one of the best pull-up shooters in college basketball and just overall scorers um, with Florida State and uh, Mifondu Cabangeli and Terrence Mann looming probably in the second round. Um, Spencer, the guard matchup here is a little bit different. Howard obviously not going to be a impediment to John Morant, um, but could certainly give him a big test on the defensive end with his ability to just put up points. Um, what are you looking for for Morant here against Marquette and then also against Florida State in the second round potentially?
1: Um, I mean, I feel like every time I watch Jaw, it's the same questions. It's it's the turnovers. It's how is he finishing in the rim? Um, and then, you know, obviously the shot. So those are going to be the three biggest things that I'm looking for. Like we know he's a great passer. He's a very, very athletic player. But he's really mainly done his damage aside from like Auburn and Alabama earlier earlier this year against like lesser teams. Um, so you know, playing against Marquette, which is a, it's not a, you know, it's it's not like a powerhouse, but it's a good school uh, with a good program. It, it's going to be interesting to see just how he's willing, how how he's able to translate, uh, if he's able to translate his strengths and if he's able to mitigate his weaknesses against the better competition. Um, and then I mean, Florida State, you have two. Very, very, very high-level shot blockers. <laughs> so, yep. it, it, like, it's simple. Is he going to be able to finish over NBA? Maybe not athleticism. Maybe not NBA like athletic athletes. Excuse me. It's been a long day. Um, NBA athletes around the paint, but sized. Like, you know, Kevin Gelly, He's a good shot blocker. He's a big guy who's going to be around the paint. And then uh, Kumaji. He's seven four. He's he's humongous. Um, so I'm going to be looking to see if he's going to be able to finish above them or through them if he can't finish at all or if he's playing the smarter game and maybe trying to drive and kick and get other teammates involved a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I like what you say there in playing the smarter game, especially against Florida State. That's kind of been my main concern with John Morant through this process. And just for reference, where do you have Morant ranked um, kind of kind of in your tiers or or on your uh, b- board ranking?
1: Uh, I think he is eighth on my board but i think the eighth ranking is somewhere it's the five through however many guys
0: you want to put on there really
1: yeah i mean it's a a big range um but he's in that third tier for me because i don't trust the decision making i don't i'm not a huge fan of his frame uh the finishing around the rim he's a very good finisher sometimes and he's a very bad finisher sometimes and The good finishes are mostly scoop shots, which has me a little worried because Mm -hmm. it's different going in smaller colleges versus NBA athletes. And then of course the jump shot, which I buy no stock in whatsoever, basically.
0: Yeah, so so we're on kind of the same page there. I have Morant in my tier three at number eight as well. Um, so that's kind of the big reason that I haven't held him out of my top five through the second half of the year is I just don't trust the decision-making. I don't know that when he kind of gets the screws put to him by a really good defense, if he's going to be able to make the decisions quick enough and consistently enough to make the right play For what the team needs, whether that's taking the ball himself, whether that's putting his teammates in open spots, he can do both. But I think that's kind of what holds me back a little bit is how well he's able to kind of manage the game here. And Marquette, while they're they don't have a ton of athletes, they have a they have a defense that can kind of put the clamps to you and kind of just gum up the game a little bit, and then. Obviously, throwing throwing Kumaji at Moran is going to be really interesting, just to see what he is able to do at the rim there. But I, I think that's going to be kind of where the big uh, where the big test comes from. Um, what do you think of Murray State's prospects for the tournament? Before we move on, kind of where do you where do you see them going? Do you see them as kind of like a probably sure out by the end of the first weekend, or do you think it's going to be a lot more? um there's a lot more potential for them to actually go on a run here
1: full disclosure i usually end up last place in every bracket i do so <laughs> it's like meaningless but i have them beating marquette and then i have them losing to florida state and then they, if, if by some chance they make it past uh past florida state i think there's no chance whatsoever they beat gonzaga so pretty much they're at least in my opinion, I think they're going to be done this weekend.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of where, where I'm at too. Um, that Mark, Marquette is kind of getting glossed over because everybody's looking at the Murray State-Florida State matchup for what it does for Morant, but they they could very easily win this game, and, and Howard is, is a big reason why. Um, next game we'll cover is uh, kind of the draft-twitter nerd bowl, um, the 8-9 <laughs> matchup of Utah State-Washington, the two guys that we've kind of been on – since the beginning of the season that are only just now kind of getting mainstream coverage as potential draft prospects Um Matisse Theibel for Washington, Nehemias Keita of Utah state Theibel, the brilliant defender for their two, three zone that kind of unlocks everything that Washington does. Keita really raw, but really interesting shot blocker um, that has a ton of athleticism could probably play the four or five in the NBA. Um, what are you looking for? What, mostly from Keita, but also from Feibel in, in this game?
1: I mean, Kata's game is, is simple. He plays a little bit in the post. Uh, he's He you know runs the pick and roll a little bit, but because there's so little space, I guess, in college, it's kind of hard to actually hit him there. And then he's on the offensive glass and just finishing in the paint. So, like, you know, Washington, they're not a huge team. And I think the fact that they're actually playing zone probably helps him a little bit because – Anyone who's played in the zone knows, I and mean, anyone who's coached a zone or whatever, you know, zones are hard to rebound against if everyone's not zone, if everyone's not zoned in. Um, like if everyone's not attacking the glass, they can, they can be pretty easily exploited. So I would really like to see K to just like dominate the glass, and I think he'll be able to. Um, and then on defense, I love his pick and roll defense, even if his footwork isn't great at times. Um, I love his hand placement. Like he really shuts down passing lanes everywhere. So I want to see if that continues. Um, and I mean, I I love Keta. I want to see him have a big game. I like him. I think he's gonna be a, uh, I think he's a good fit in Utah. Actually. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him there. <laughs> yeah,
0: I I think that he's a guy that has a lot to potentially earn from this because this is these. Is- first time on a big stage, um, outside of the Arizona state game. And and he could potentially be very valuable for them because he is a pretty good passer. In addition to uh, the, what you talked about with his defense, and he's going to be forced to make a lot of those decisions. You know, it's a, it's a two, three zone. They're going to dump the ball into the guy at the elbow and force him to make decisions uh, a lot of the time. And, and Kate is pretty good at that. So if he can do that consistently and they can end up pulling out a win, um, from in part because of his offense, I think that's going to be a really big bump to his potential draft stock. UNC's looming for the winner of this game, um, so I want to know which matchup would you be more potentially excited for? Um, watching Nasir Little try to finish against Kata and Utah State, or watching Thibel have to defend Kobe White and Cam Johnson?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I guess I've kind of given up Right now on Nasir Little and, and playing well. So just based on that alone, I'd probably lean towards Washington. But the zone, like I can't stand watching zones. And if, if Washington played man and if I could actually see Thibel match up against Cam and Kobe and, you know, Kenny Williams um, and Nasir, that would be, that's like a dream come true, as you said, for like it, for the uh, draft Twitter, like the nerdverse.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the thing about Washington's zone though, because of Theibel, because he is so good at that point of that attack, it makes that yeah. zone watchable for me. It's it's yeah. crazy. I am a very vocal Syracuse hater because for many reasons, <laughs> but because their 2-3 zone is the hardest thing to watch in college basketball, but Washington does it with Theibel at the top and... It's it's just so different, and Dickerson's pretty good in the in the center for them too. So um, this is not just Syracuse too. Like this is this is a this is going to be a very fun game for that reason. Um, let's kind of quick hit some other games here that we could see in the first weekend. Um, most mostly second round games here. Let's start with Maryland and Belmont. Um, if Belmont beats Temple, um, which they probably will have, or they will have, or won't have by the time this podcast airs, but we'll go for just entertainment value because it's really interesting to see kind of what uh, Dylan Winwer could end up doing against Bruno Fernando here. Um, get- we'll talk a little bit about Winwer later, so let's kind of focus on Fernando. What kind of test is he going to get from Belmont in this game if if they're playing Belmont?
1: Well, they have Mazinski if he plays, and then they have the other that the other big who's been taking his minutes, and they're both six eleven, you know two hundred and forty-five like ish pounds, maybe like two forty. Um so they can bang with Fernando in the post. So Fernando's gonna have to figure that out. I think he has beautiful footwork down there, and I think he has a speed advantage on both of them. So if he's able to exploit it, I'd like to see him do that. Um, and if not I'd like to see him make quick reads, quick passes. He's shown a few uh flashes on like the short rolls and maybe hitting a floater or hitting someone in the corner. So I'd like to see him do that. But I mean honestly the the Fernando Mazinski matchup, that's like that's that's a good one, but I'm really looking forward to the uh to the Windler and Wiggins one.
0: Yeah, I think that we're gonna get a good matchup for uh for Dylan Winwer. Um who is another guy that I think is kind of floating at the back end of this draft in the mainstream and really could make a name for himself um, as as we as he goes here, if if Belmont can string a couple wins together here um, we'll t- we'll touch on him a little bit more a little later um, let's shift now to uh, second round games that could be really interesting starting with virginia ole miss um what would you be looking for in a potential deandre hunter terrence davis matchup um davis is kind of early second round prospect to me really athletic guy that mostly plays guard but can can switch on to threes and fours a little bit um is this a potentially bad matchup for hunter i don't know if there really is one like
1: just from a straight up at least defensive perspective he can stay with anyone uh for the i mean obviously you know there's some point guards who obviously can't do that but i think he'll be able to stick with terrence davis pretty well his footwork on the perimeter, just how he moves, how fundamentally sound he is, I'd match him up with pretty much anyone and feel comfortable with it. So I actually think it's a bigger test for Davis going going up against a uh, like a six eight, seven foot two wingspan wing defender who he could end up seeing at the next level than it would be the other way around. Yeah.
0: The only thing with Davis really that I think kind of made that interesting for me is, you know, he is so quick on yeah. I yeah when he gets ahead of steam especially in the open court and seeing Hunter have to have to kind of defend Davis maybe at the rim or on a rotation could be really interesting. We know he's not necessarily as laterally quick and Davis's on-ball defense is also just very good and I think that that could be a really interesting interesting test there as well, but you're right this is a, this is going to be a really good matchup to see kind of what Davis's actual value is against a guy of similar athleticism and and um and kind of raw skill level. Um, another game that you had circled as a big one is Nevada and Michigan. Um, you get a variety of prospects here. I think probably you could argue eight guys that could be potentially drafted here with John Teske, Ignis Brasdikis, Jordan Poole, and Charles Matthews for Michigan, um, and then maybe Isaiah Livers as well, and then the Martin Twins and Jordan Caroline for Nevada. Um, what's the biggest matchup to you in if this game ends up happening, if Nevada uh, wins their first matchup?
1: Um, I guess Teske and Caroline. But that,
0: That's what I had too.
1: Like, I'm really looking forward to seeing Cody Martin play. Like, Mm -hmm. I I love his game. Just, he's smooth, he's smart. Uh, He probably won't be matched up, I'm assuming, that much with Jordan Poole, which would be the matchup I'd want to see. So, I guess Teske and Caroline.
0: Yeah, really interesting contrast to styles there with, with Teske being kind of the, like, really good really good hands really classic shot blocker can also go pick and pop and then there's just Caroline who's just a bruiser um on the other end i re- really like that that battle there also really interested to kind of see what Charles Matthews is going to have to do to slow down Caleb Martin because um, Matthews, I think, doesn't get as much credit as he should as a defender, and I'm really interested to see kind of what he's able to do against um, the guy I think is the better Martin twin. But I, I don't know if you disagree oh, there.
1: Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't buy the shot. I know. It's oh, I don't
0: buy that at all either. I, I'm kind of thinking that in spite of the shot though.
1: Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I like big point guards, so I guess I'm mm-hmm. a little partial to Cody, but I mean, I don't really think there's a huge difference either way.
0: Yeah. Would you put either of them on, on the board as, as kind of like a top 60 type guy, guy who's probably firmly in the conversation?
1: Uh, probably not just because I think they're turning 24 before the draft or yeah. before the season starts. So for that reason alone, I'd probably take them off my board.
0: Makes sense. Um, Last game I want to touch on before we move on. Um, Wofford, Seton Hall, one of the bigger first-round matchups there. Um, We'll shift from your love of tall point guards to talking about small point guards. Um, Which matchup do you want to see more? Um, Seton Hall and Miles Powell against Kentucky or Fletcher McGee and Wofford against Kentucky? Uh, I
1: think Wofford against Kentucky because... I think they could beat him just because of
0: Fletcher. I mean, yeah. I guess you could say the same thing about, uh, Powell. They did great it game. once.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that was a great game actually earlier, yeah. earlier this year. I remember that coin flip <laughs> <laughs> pick either one. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, I'm- it's a really, it's really gonna be a tough matchup for Kentucky's guards. Either way, I mean Tyler Hero and Ashton Hagens, like they, they both had their bright spots in the second half of the season. But these two guys are really gonna stress either of those two. I mean Powell is just is just so dynamic as not only a shot maker but as a passer. Um, and Haggins is really gonna have a tough time on ball against him. And then just, just imagining Tyler Hero having to chase McGee off screens. It, that just sounds so stressful for for Haro and and to watch a guy who is kind of similar stature and just be better at you than you at everything that you're good at is just going to be really demoralizing for him I think um, so yeah that that whatever you do in this in the sec in Saturday and Sunday definitely make sure that you're tuning into Kentucky against whoever because you're gonna get probably a way more stressful game than Kentucky wants, um, at that point. Um, but let's talk, let's shift away from opening weekend. Now let's talk a little bit about kind of further down the line, um, you know, everybody kind of looks at, looks at the top four seeds as they get announced and they can kind of pick at least two or three games that are just going to be wonderful to watch um, would just be a dream scouting matchup. Duke-Michigan State was obviously the big one last year, potentially Marvin Bagley and Jaron Jackson, and then Syracuse came along and ruined that. Um, but we're going to talk about a few games here that could be really good in the in, um, further down the line. Um We'll kind of rotate here. Um, we each pick three games to watch, or I pick three and you pick two, unless you have, a, have another one. Um, and we'll just kind of give like a like a brief like 30-second rundown of why each game is uh, is going to be really interesting. Why don't you go first with your first one here?
1: All right, so I have Gonzaga and Michigan, and I had that because you have, I mean, just as before the other Michigan game we talked about, it's a whole bunch of draft guys that you could see, you know, the top 15 picks top 20 picks. Um, But the matchup I want to look for would be Brandon Clark against John Teske, Uh, NBA-sized player, even though Teske's not the athlete. But it would be a good test. And then Rui up against uh, Brezdikas would be a lot of fun. Um, Poole against uh, Zach Norville. Like, just everywhere. I mean, there would be, like, 50 scouts probably, or at least one from every team. Yeah,
0: I mean, you've got probably ten guys there potentially that that could be in the conversation for the next two drafts. Um, I love the Teske Clark matchup. I think that would be really interesting. I'd also really want to see. Um, I really want to see who has to guard Zach Norvell um, and just what that ends that ends up doing and who Zach Norvell has to guard because he's I think a little bit of a weaker defender and he's going to get a tough matchup whether it's Jordan Poole whether it's Brazdikas whether it's uh even Xavier Simpson um it, it's that's going to be a really interesting game I went with a game from that same bracket that is going to be wildly different we kind of talked about this in um amongst ourselves with uh in draft Twitter when the brackets came out but Can you imagine a Murray State-Texas Tech game where we get John Morant against Jared Culver um, and and specifically Morant against the Texas Tech defense? I think that's kind of the dream matchup um, in terms of, the type of test that the NCAA tournament could provide for Morant. Um, having to go at th- all of their talented def- defensive wings and then having Tarek Ow- Owens sitting over top. Um, Jarrett Culver really doesn't have a guy that could guard him um, against Murray State. So I think if we get this Alita 8 matchup instead of Gonzaga-Michigan, um, that might honestly be more exciting, wouldn't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, just from everything that's on the line. Like you know, you know what you're having with Gonzaga and Michigan, but Jaw versus Texas Tech's defenses, it's a wild card.
0: Yeah, it's. I I just think that if you can put those those two guys on the same court together, I think I think you're you're still getting your. Uh, the same thing, the 50 scouts um, from across the NBA. Um, and we don't get to see that every year. We don't get to see two guys that are probably top five, both top five picks play against each other in the NCAA tournament, so that'd be, that'd be fun. Um, what's your next game?
1: Uh, I've got UNC Kentucky, and we had the matchup earlier this year, and I just want to see it again <laughs> from a, a selfish perspective.
0: What are you? What would you be looking for in that matchup? I pairing, you know, good point, good point guard and Kobe White, um, two, the two probably most disappointing wings in the class with Keldon Johnson and Nasir Little, um, and then and then PJ Washington's there, Cam Johnson's there. Um, who are you? Who would you specifically be looking at with that game?
1: Um, I mean, I want to see it. Like PJ had a great game his first game. I remember it was almost a triple double because I made a video about it saying this is the P.J. Washington everybody wants. Um, So I'd want to see if P.J. can replicate that, and I want to see if Harrow ends up having a better game. Um, They'll probably be defended again by Kenny Williams, and Williams is one of my favorite players in college basketball. He's an unbelievable defender. So seeing that matchup again will be great. And then uh, Keldon and Nasir, if he's able to get off the bench in this game, like who knows if Roy's actually going to trust him.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the interesting overarching theme with uh, with UNC is just, like, what is their rotation going to look like? Because it's felt like they have been a little bit inconsistent with that. Little gets some games where he's getting good minutes, and then he gets buried at other times. You know, they're a little over-reliant on 7th Woods, who is probably the worst player on, like, a power team this year. Um, it's it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how the matchups would break out in that game because, I mean, like, if, if Little's defending P.J. Washington at all, that's going to be doom for North Carolina, it feels like. Yeah. yeah. I, I had a Kentucky game, too, um, but this one would be, I think, a potential Sweet 16 matchup that would be really interesting. We talked earlier about Wofford and Seton Hall stressing Kentucky's guards. Well, if they win that game, there's a high likelihood that the next round would be even more stressful getting Iowa state and Tyrese Halliburton and Taylor and Horton Tucker. I think that that would be a really good matchup because we get to see Horton Tucker really defend everybody on, um, on that Kentucky team. I think that he would match up it well across the board um, against, you know, all, all sorts of guys for Kentucky um, Halliburton, one of the best creators in college basketball. I, I think just from a pure kind of shot creation perspective for others, um, his just extremely weird game, I think, would, would cause a lot of issues there, um, and then, you know, you turn it turn around, and Kentucky's probably big enough that they could, they could give Iowa State some real problems, so, um, I think that would be a fantastic outcome, I think, especially for Horton Tucker, though.
1: Yeah, well, you get to put him against everyone, as he said, like, he'll be going up against Kobe, who's a lottery pick, probably, uh, cam johnson who's going to be a probably a late first round pick um luke may who's probably going to be playing somewhere over in spain next year but it's a big guy and you could probably put him on uh horton tucker on him for a couple of possessions like that just it'll be a lot of fun and then halliburton who probably weighs like 160 pounds we'll be able to see how he does against um like cam johnson if he's matched up with him and Be able to stay in Kobe White and like his help defense is awesome, but you can't really help that much against UNC so. Yeah, that'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, so Iowa State's going to be just fascinating to watch, and and that's if they get out of the first round too. Um, they don't have exactly the easiest game um, in the first round either, but if they if they can, they they are going to cause some problems um, across the board for whoever they end up facing in the later rounds. Um, and then let's wrap with kind of the last game that I had picked out just. I think the matchup that we're most likely to get of any of these and um, could just be really interesting just from a narrative perspective um, because it would come in the Elite Eight and it would mean that uh, it would mean that one team overcame something very weird to get there and that's Duke LSU. Um, having that matchup really could be some interesting contrasting styles there and um, Duke, Duke, we get to see Tyus or not Tyus Jones, Trey Jones against Tremont Waters. We get to see um, how Darius Days did against R.J. Barrett. We've got Zion Williamson and um, Nas Reed, or probably more likely Marquise Bolden and Nas Reed. Who, what would be kind of the big matchup that you would watch in a Duke LSU battle?
1: Ah. He, he's probably not going to start, but if there's anyone who can get close to matching Zion's energy, it'll probably be Emmett Williams. So I'd want to see that one. Like both six seven, obviously Zion's got 50 pounds on him, but like Emmett is unbelievably strong. Uh, and we saw in this year actually, like, he like locked up Zion for a possession in the last game, and then he ended up giving up the offensive rebound. I don't think. Emmett's going to let him get an offensive rebound in that type of situation, so that'll be a pretty uh, that'll be a pretty good matchup from my point of view.
0: Yes, exactly. How could I forget thick Jack Frame certified uh, Emmett Williams here uh, as well? I yeah, I, I just think I think the real interesting matchup there would be days guarding RJ Barrett because there's a guy who could force RJ into some bad decisions that he already kind of wants to make, but uh, would de- would definitely need to make. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that would be super interesting. And then I'm also really interested to see kind of what Tremont Waters does against the Duke defense because he could kind of offset or kind of take advantage of of Duke and they're not really having kind of consistent play on the wings and and not having a consistent overall team defense um by really kind of getting into the paint consistently against trey and then just making the duke defense make decisions which is kind of what you want to do if if you're gonna if you're gonna beat this team um and you you would obviously obviously hope if you're Duke that you're then getting Zion Williamson just obliterating a five six guys shot consistently, but um, that that could be really really good as well there. Um, who is your top LSU guy? Um, for me, it's Nas Reed. I I have him probably higher than anybody else in in Draft Twitter. I still think he's kind of like a first round prospect. Um, but I know that Waters gets a lot of love. Who's who's the guy on LSU that you're most high on?
1: Uh. I mean, I guess kind of by default it might be Reed, at least for this year. I I I'm a big fan of Javante Smart. I think if he retools his jump shot a little bit, I think he can actually be a probably not a lottery pick next year, but I think he could be a first round pick next year. Um, and then Yeah. I guess I guess it'd be Javante Smart, Darius Days in the future, but not really now. Mm-hmm. Tremont Waters, he's he's great, but he's so small. Yeah. Uh, I it, guess it's kind of read by default.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's a guy that I really haven't watched a ton of this year that I'm probably going to have to go back over the summer and really pour into his game. because The people who, li- who like him really love him, it, se- it seems, but he doesn't get really any love. Um, speaking of guys who kind of get no love, let's t- switch to our last topic here and talk about kind of drafts or sleepers for the NCAA tournament. Guys who aren't getting a ton of national buzz as, as draft prospects, but are poised to really make a name for themselves and kind of get on the level that, um, draft scouts see them at with, with good performances here. Um, we each picked again, three guys here will kind of rotate back and forth. Um, but I want to start since you are the resident Eric Pascal uh, supporter, um, and and kind of the guy who's highest on him it seems. Um, give me your sales pitch on a guy that I don't have on my personal board, um, but you are really high on.
1: Uh, I mean, he's a dead eye shooter from deep. Like, he, I think he's shooting forty two percent last. So it was forty two percent through March fourth on NBA range threes, and I think that's absurd. He, he's taken almost, I think, one hundred and fifty two. Maybe uh, through March fourth, I, I think he's yeah he's, he's a great shooter. I think he's a better playmaker than maybe people really give him credit for. Um, but really, like I'd like to see him kind of in a Draymond esque role on offense. Just you know, a five on you know uh, run a pick and roll, have him grab the ball, get the ball on the roll, and then have him make a decision. I think he can make that decision on who to hit, who to hit in the corners. Um, I also think he's he be able to take most fours off the dribble offensively, if not all fours. I think he's quick. And then defensively, he's unbelievably strong, and he's very athletic. So aside from the wingspan, which isn't great, and the standing reach, which also isn't great, and I realize those are two like glaring um, negatives when it comes to his scouting profile, I still like his outlook as a good floor as like a role player, um, like a first— probably second big off the bench, but someone who you can count on for just kind of helping out a little bit everywhere.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting and that that's really kind of where kind of my doubts with, with Pascal come from are just, I don't, f- I don't know that I see him pop enough defensively. One is what as an athlete and two kind of as a, as a decision maker and with consistency enough to really be at the level that I think he needs to be. I think this draft this draft is so deep with guys who are going to be able to play the four at the, at the NBA level and bring a ton of skill on the defensive end. Um, We look at Grant Williams and Brandon Clark as as the obvious two, but as you go further down the line, um, there's like Dean Wade, who I think is a better offensive player. Um, I think there's Lewis King, who I think while incredibly raw could end up being a better defensive prospect than Pascal. It's just like, I feel like his position is so saturated in this draft that I find it hard to really get super excited about him. Um, do you just think he, he's that much better than guys who are in his cohort? Or um, is there something like that you would put above everybody else that is kind of like his singular skill?
1: So I think at least this year, uh, maybe part of the reason why the defense hasn't popped as much is because his role on offense has actually been that much greater than in previous years. Like last year, I thought his defense was great. Um, the, the year before, I don't think he was there. Uh, it might have been his redshirt year. But like even this year, we see the flashes. I, I watched maybe three games of his over the weekend, and he was guarding everyone one through four. And sure, like he'll make his mistakes. He's not gonna be able to lock up everyone. But I think if you're in a switching defense, I think they're he, he'd do a pretty good job. And you know, Lewis King, he has the knee injury concerns. I think he tore his meniscus last year. Um, Although he has looked a lot better over the last, I don't know, 15 or so games. And Dean Wade, there's always the injury concern. Like, I'm not taking Pascal in the first round, probably, unless if it's, like, 26, 27, like, you know, a contending team. But I think he's pretty safe in what he can give right now. And I think there might be a few more question marks elsewhere.
0: That's yeah. That's that's definitely interesting. He's a guy who has gotten mocked to the Cavs by a lot of a uh, few different people that are mainstream in the past couple of days. Um, went to went to him in the Athletics latest mock draft, um, in in particular, and I think that te- Cavs fans are very interested in what pascal could bring so definitely uh definitely a guy to watch that can that can firmly kind of cement himself i think and i'll definitely have to go back and watch a little bit more of him probably his tape last year on the defensive end to kind of see um see that to supplement what what you're saying about the offense because i agree i think he's going to be a very good skilled offensive player i think the shooting is very real i just don't know if he is going to be enough for two-way player to be a, to be a rotation guy. Um, My first guy is uh, the guy that we kind of referenced in, in relation to Pascal is uh, Lewis King. Um, I have him on here because, you know, he missed most of the first part of the season with recovery from the meniscus tear. Um, Didn't look great for about 10 games after he returned, but really it started to come into his own, Um, had a solid PAC 12 tournament. Um, And I think, He's going to get some really interesting matchups in whatever Oregon does in the NCAA tournament. I think he could make a name for himself um, because he's going to have to face Ethan Happ in the first round with Wisconsin. um, And he's going to have to face Dean Wade in the second round, um, very likely, unless you... UC Irvine upsets Kansas State. Um, so I I like him as a as a defensive prospect that can shoot from the corners and and provide a little bit of spacing, kind of similar mold to Pascal. Um, he's still, I think, very raw as well. So I think there's development potential there. Um do, what do you think of King? Because he's another guy that kind of just floats in that what feels like 70 guys that could be potential, uh, second round picks. What, what do you see with him? And, and is he a guy that you think should come out this year or somebody who should return?
1: I mean, I guess he kind of fall into that. Maybe Kemba Walker, if he gets hot, he should absolutely stay in, even if they end up losing in the second round or the first round, just because he's been on a tear recently. Um, I think he's definitely worth a look in the second round. I don't see why not. He's tall. He's long. He can shoot. Some of the bursts of athleticism we've seen actually in conference like he had a really strong take, strong power finish. Must have been like six or seven games ago maybe. Um, He's definitely getting more comfortable as the season goes on and as the season went on and if that's able to continue until next year. Um, I don't see what's stopping him from being a role player it's just the injury uh i guess that kind of gives me a little pause there and i'm not a huge fan of his frame and he's not a great athlete although i think he definitely is a good one but if he's playing the four is he physical
0: enough and there are questions there basically yeah i i agree i i just think there's there's upside with kind of a, a second year maybe him coming back and being a twenty twenty prospect and and kind of proving what he can do when he's fully healthy, um, could could be really interesting there. Um, who's who's your second guy that people should pay attention to?
1: Um I mean I, I had Chuma O'Kiki also. I I love his game. I had him like in the fifties a couple weeks ago and now he's up in the thirties in mine, which apparently is still pretty low and i love his game just everything about it he's quick he uses his hands very very well um and his shot it's it's good i mean he had six threes i think in the last game against tennessee and he's a fun player
0: yeah he's a guy i haven't watched enough of um i i I feel like i i kind of put uh I kind of put Auburn on the back burner after after the Duke game. I just kind of forgot about him for most of, of conference play because I wasn't really, like, super into OKK, and, and Macklemore hadn't really um, hadn't really impressed me as an offensive player, hadn't really improved enough. Um, so I just kind of put them on the back burner. But um, he's another guy that I, I kind of agree with um, with you where I wasn't on my last board, but probably will be, like, in the high 30s uh, on my next board. Another guy who is getting... Potentially looked at as as a Cavs prospect, Um, so a good a good name to watch there. Um, I'm I've got two other fringe guys here, so I'll kind of start start with my um, my next one, which is Demarcus Simons of Georgia State. Um, He's a guy I've kind of been on all year as a probable second round pick, um, who I who I think could have some really kind of latent upside. It, once he gets to the NBA level, I think his he plays it in the Sun Belt. Um, kind of has the same issue with John Morant, where um, you know, he has kind of some some shooting concerns and some decision making concerns. But I think in the space of the NBA, and kind of with a little more freedom than what he gets on the floor at Georgia State, I think he's gonna end up looking incredible because he is probably the number two athlete in this class behind Zion Williamson to me um, what do you think is of Simons and and what his draft prospects are
1: so he's actually someone who I haven't caught that much of so okay yeah probably haven't seen him maybe maybe one game if that since the Georgia game um, but that was a good game for him like he's, he's as you said he's an unbelievable athlete he's very downhill in the way he attacks just the jump shot um, I I don't really have a strong enough opinion either way, so I'll defer to you on this. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I I just like him as kind of you know like a like a bench um like secondary sc- kind of scoring type that that comes in on a team that's faster pace and and just dominates in transition and and does enough as like a cutter and and spot up shooter that he's functional there. Um, so I I think that he's a really interesting you know, second-round flyer guy um, coming coming from a mid-major. Um, let's, let's shift to talking a little bit about Dylan Winwer here. You put you put him down, and I, I'm glad you did because he's a guy that um, I, I think lost in the John Morant hype. He was very clearly the second-best prospect in uh, the Ohio Valley and probably the second-best prospect among all of the low-major schools this year. Um, so kind of give a brief little... little synopsis of why Wynwer could end up playing himself into position where maybe the Cavs should consider him with their second pick?
1: Uh, I mean, first of all, he's a dead-eye shooter. Like, unbelievable shooters. But 55% from the field, 67 on two, he's 43 from three, 85 from the line. Um, Like, every, every team in the NBA can always use another shooter. He's, I think he's actually pretty strong. He's not a bulky guy, he's probably not someone who you want guarding the bigger fours, but if he's able to get a little bit more physical, I can see him definitely guarding some some fours. Um, he's a good swing passer, he's a good rebounder, he's just, he's a high IQ guy who couldn't really really shoot it from like well beyond NBA 3, or well beyond college 3 into and beyond NBA 3.
0: Yeah, I I think that his his frame is very like it's very like it it it's hard to imagine him being like a functional NBA player when you just look at him, but it it hides kind of what his what his talents are and and his ability to, to bang when he needs to, um, to switch if, if he needs to. And I, I think there's some definite, definite functionality to um, kind of his size and athleticism that um, doesn't really show up when you just, when you just look at him, step on the floor. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you. I think he's a guy that every NBA team could use um and with with enough development time could be really interesting um the last two here I just want to touch mine quick and then we'll get to yours which is a name I was very surprised to see um I I picked Mie Oni from Yale um 6'9 power forward one of the smartest decision makers with the ball at the four spot I think in the in this draft class um I think I would only put him behind Zion and, and Grant Williams in that regard um you know, real, really deep, really good finisher. Has the hints of a jump shot, um, and and kind of has the um, has the clout that I think he could end up actually being an early entrant to the draft from Yale, which which never happens. You never get these Ivy League guys leaving early. Um, what do you think of Oni, and and do you kind of agree that he kind of fits in along the lines of of some of these other kind of six eight, six nine, kind of three four types that we see in this class?
1: Yeah, I like him. Um, the the only thing is, is, like, I guess the turnovers. Um, I think he's a good playmaker, actually, out of the pick and roll. He's a good secondary passer. Again, you know, he's a swing passer. He had a couple of pretty high assist games. I remember watching. Um, and then the shot. The shot has actually probably been pretty. It's been an interesting evaluation because there are some days where he looks like a really good shooter, and then other days he looks like what. Like, what are you doing? Um, and something I actually noticed, I was going through all of his clips a few, not a few weeks ago, maybe like last month, a little, maybe a month and a half ago, but it seemed like all of his misses that were short on jump shots, sorry, all of his misses on jump shots were very short. And if you watch his shot, it's a very right-hand dominant shot where his left hand is almost not used at all. And I know you're not supposed to use your left-hand shot and it's supposed to, like, you know, in the actual motion, but it seemed like with him it, it was exaggerated a little bit too much.
0: Yeah, I noticed that too. I noticed that he, like, he consistently, like, misses short, and it it seems like he doesn't get, like, consistent lift out of his legs. Like, he has some shots where he kind of has, like, the traditional, like, kind of one motion, like, one motion release where he comes up and releases at the same time and gets a really good lift, and then, like, other times it's just, like, this kind of, like, almost... Like set shot where he almost doesn't jump at all, like he barely goes up on up on his toes to release it. Um, it's it's very weird, um, but I, I I think I just think he's a guy that is a good name to watch. Um, it could give LSU a whole. Mess of problems, um, and defi- definitely, if not this year, could be really good next year. And speaking of you guys for next year, I think we'll wrap up with uh, your, la- your last guy on here who's almost certainly coming back to school, I would have to imagine. Um, but sell me on Joe Wisecamp of Iowa, um, a name I really did not expect to see and also kind of just in my brain automatically thought he was a senior. Um, I, I kind of, you kind of see... Iowa and Wichita State and all of these Plains teams, they always have a guy that has a similar last name to Weisskamp that is like a 6'4", white guy that can shoot that's like 24 years old. Um, so really interested that he's a freshman that's already having this kind of impact, um, having watched some clips. Um, what do you like about his game, and, and kind of what are you looking for from him for this tournament in terms of, like, projecting him to next year?
1: Um, well, I mean, I guess I'll ha- – second part of the question on what I'm projecting it's can he take that next step in the impact and be more than just a spot-up shooter and secondary attacker Um, that'll be it and then the defense and you just want to see him continue to add more to his game you want to see the shot get more uh, more consistent Um, and then this tournament I want to see him play on the big stage I want to see him play against better teams I want to see him be aggressive Um, all of I guess the generic you know things that scouts look for. It's, it's what I'm going to be looking for as well.
0: Yeah, I I was really interested watching watching his game. He really reminded me of freshman Kevin Herter, where kind of it was kind of like the bones of everything that made him so good when he in his draft year were there. It ju- it just wasn't all kind of coming together. I mean, he, he the the shot is really really nice. It just it just isn't. I think as good as you really want it to be. Um, and I really think he kind of s- is still growing into his body a little bit, it seems like. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah. His 19, maybe. Isn't it 18? Probably in the change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then on the shot, the one thing I actually want to see him fix or maybe tweak a little bit going forward, I want to see him tighten up and quicken the release. Mm-hmm. It seems like sometimes it's just a bit slow. And when you have big athletes, anyone running at you uh the quicker you get it off the less chance the defender has of actually impacting the result so i'd want to see him quicken
0: it a little bit yeah i I agree with that i think like i said the bone the bones of it are there i think i think that the form is great it's just got to get um got to get a little bit tuned up and i think going into into next year he could be like a really really kind of late bloomer um type for a first round guy um for that class um well, let's wrap it up here. I I think that this has been this has been great. Um, I hope that everybody has gotten a good sense of kind of what to watch in terms of the NBA draft for, uh, the NCAA tournament. Um, some good names to watch both that the Cavs could target. Um, and also that maybe a little bit deeper down the line that you can familiar yourself, familiarize yourself with, um, maybe because, uh, just because they're going to become good NBA players one day. Um, so this is, this has been, um, I think a real, really valuable look at, at this that isn't just, here are the teams. Here's who the top prospects are playing, and here's who we think is going to win. Um, one last thing: who who do you think is going to win? I know that you say you're a self-proclaimed terrible bracket maker, um, <laughs> but what who are who are you picking to win the tournament?
1: I've got Gonzaga over UNC.
0: Okay, I picked Michigan over UNC. Um, <laughs> So we'll, we'll see if either of those are right. Last year I had Michigan winning as well and got very close to winning several bracket pools, um, but was undone in the end. Um, so you can, uh, you can keep track of the podcast, um, at the Fear of the Sword on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure to support our other Fear the Sword podcasts as well, including the Bottom, the Chase Down, and Locked On Cavaliers. Um, we'll be back next week with another prospect breakdown. Hopefully, you all caught the Jarrett Culver breakdown uh, that came out yesterday. Um, we'll be doing probably someone else that the Cavs could be taking in the top five potentially um so stay tuned for that and we will catch you guys all next week stay thick and stay jacked